Hey, Sandy and Nora fans, Nora here. Look, we're not quite yet back. We're still hanging out a bit on vacation. So in the meantime, today you get an episode that we recorded back in October as we presented to the Young Workers Committee of the Ontario Public Sector Employees Union, or OPSU. It was a really fun conversation, and you'll have to imagine a couple of things. First of all, we didn't have any mics on the room, so you can't hear all of the laughter and then the jokes and everything that were coming from the crowd. I'm kidding a little bit, but you can hear kind of where there probably would be laughter. You can fill it in yourself with your own laughter, of course. It's also a conference where people hadn't really heard of Sandy and Norm. So you get to hear what it sounds like when we talk to a crowd who are like, yeah, sorry, we, we, we don't know who you are. never heard of you. <laughs> it was, as I said, a lot of fun, and I hope you enjoy it as much as we did. This is going to be part one of Sandy Nora Live at OPSU in Toronto. Thank you so much to all of you for inviting us here today to do a live Sandy and Nora podcast for you all at such a really like critical, important time in organizing, in like current events, in how the left organizes, how workers organize. I think it's, a, it's time to have these types of conversations. So we're really, really happy to be here. Thanks for inviting us. Yeah, okay, so... Um Kind of what wasn't mentioned in the in the bios was the podcast. Uh, like, who are we? What the oh, hell yeah. is this? Hmm. Um, who does anyone know our podcast? Yes, okay, Woo. a couple of people. But you know what? You're all going to be fans from 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 in, in, in 45 minutes. You're all going to be listening to the whole back catalog. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we are the uh, co-hosts. It's, feel, it's not funny to say that because it's the name of the podcast. Yeah. We are the co-hosts of Sandy and Nora Talk Politics. So if you go to sandyandnora.com, you'll see all about that. And it is a podcast that talks about everything. 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 How we change the world. What power looks like. Why power is screwing us. How we unscrew ourselves. And, um, and so this keynote is like a podcast. So you all have to put your heads down, close your eyes... <laughs> And just listen. Don't look at us. <laughs> and you will actually probably hear this this on the podcast feed if you do listen to us at some point because we are recording this for our podcast. So as we're just you know getting off the top from the from the beginning, you should know if you if you haven't listened to the podcast before, Nora is funny. She's very funny. I am less somewhat funny. interesting, but less funny. <laughs> and we will uh, discuss the issues of the day today. Um, while being those two characters. Also, uh, tonight we have a live show in Toronto if you want more of us, um, uh, where we're going to have a special musical guest. So uh, if you're interested in that, uh, uh, we'll tell you the details of of that at the end of this. That's right. Okay, so um, we don't actually, because it's usually podcast, I'm sitting in my little cave, Sandy's in her little cave, we don't really get to do this in front of people. Um, This is so exciting because you're in this room. How are you feeling right now? I really you're actually like you're pumped up you're not like oh my god the world war everything sucks okay yeah be honest so how are people feeling anxiety me too (laughs) to to the voice in this direction who said that that is my um my daily feels right now 
Yeah, and so um, understanding and talking about the, the the heaviness of what we're all dealing with—that's that's kind of the point of the podcast to navigate the world. And and I like starting off when I talk to groups about how are people feeling. You f- do you feel like you're kind of isolated, alone, kind of sad? It's okay. You can be sad. A little. People, the, the, people are like, I can't nod because I can't render that visible. <laughs> I can't speak that into the world that I'm feeling like that. Yeah? Um, I have been going around a lot talking to groups, and I, and I always ask that. How are you feeling? Are you feeling alone? Are you feeling isolated? Are you feeling sad? And everyone is literally like, yeah. Yeah. yes, I am. Um, and, you know, as public, as public sector workers, you are on the front lines of seeing the crises that we face. And you know that. You see, you see all of the insecurity. You see all of the struggle. You see all of the housing crisis and the affordability crisis and, the, and, the, and you know, all of the issues that plague our, our communities. You see that they show up in your clients. They show that up in your, in your day to day. And what we lack is the conversation on how to actually build something that is strong enough to change those conditions. And that is where the isolation finds itself. And as people who are in this room, you folks are people who have decided, you know, uh, against all of the things who are fate that are facing you to try to shift our world somehow, whether that's the world that we are working in, like our literal workplaces, or shifting the world in terms of the province, the way that the province operates, or even perhaps doing some solidarity work outside of the province. That is can feel like a huge responsibility and it can sometimes feel like, oh my gosh, how do I do this? What is it that I do next? Because of course, we're all struggling against forces that have kind of like so much power in terms of money, in terms of relationships with politicians, in terms of potential corruption. And that is a steep hill to climb. And so uh, for us, I think what's really important is to try to figure out how we build power amongst one another in the face of all of that, all of that mountain of shit. I think we can say that. I was questioning that as it was coming out of my mouth. Like on the podcast, uh, we say all the words. And then I was like, "Mm, we didn't talk about this. But you all knew what I was going to say anyway. So I completed the word. Excellent. Thank you very much. So the mountain of shit that is facing us. <laughs> okay, so Sandy. Nora. Why does everything suck right now? The internet. <laughs> it so is the internet. Okay, we were not going to talk about this, but let's talk about the internet instead. No, 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 no. It is part of what we were going to talk about, which is power. But it is, it's, it's the internet. Okay, so I, look... In the last week, I have been voraciously consuming the news, which is not different than most other weeks, but, you know, um, context for whatever. And I think one of the things that the internet has done in terms of uh, demobilizing us or making it hard to figure out uh, how to build power is it, it really can make it seem like we're doing something when we're doing nothing. And, and in doing that, it takes the energy out of the actual doing of the something that we must all do in order to affect anything. So let me make that more clear, (laughs) because I just said a bunch of words. Um, In the last week, we've seen 
in terms of current events, you know, the war that is happening in Palestine, a lot of statements. People make statements. People make statements. Individuals make statements. Organizations make statements. Politicians make statements. There are statements. And then people respond to statements. We are angry at that statement. We are not angry at that statement. We support this statement. We support this person who said this statement, but they left this thing out of the statement. Everyone's talking about statements. And I think we can be a little bit more creative than that. I think we can do a little bit more in trying to figure out where our power lies and what we can do to actually impact a situation. If we get together in a room, I mean, we can all have a debate on putting out a statement. That is a thing that we can do. Or we can have a discussion about, oh, how much money do we have as an organization? And what could we possibly do with that money to support people who are being impacted in our workplaces, to support people who are being impacted in our communities? As politicians, people, a lot of politicians have put out statements. Politici politicians could put out private members' bills asking uh, you know, the, the House to, I don't know, um, engage in, in a boycott campaign, engage in, uh, in, in something that is real beyond statements. Now, that's not to say that discussions and freedom of speech and making, making it clear what your position is is not useful. That is absolutely useful and contributes to a conversation that needs to happen. But somehow, in terms of like this power where we, we can't figure out what to do next, the internet really makes it seem like the statement, the saying something, is all you need to do, and that's the end. Then you just fight about the statement. And I think that that is so demobilizing, and I'm really glad to be speaking to uh, folks who are organizing in unions today because I think, quite frankly, that unions are some of the most powerful organizations that we have in any struggle. And, uh, and, and unions are critically important to doing the something that is real and have always been. Like the first time that we really saw the internet play a critical role in creating an activist movement, I think, was Me Too. Who remembers Me Too? We all remember Me Too, right? Who remembers all of the victories Me Too created? Not many, actually, right? It was an interesting campaign where people were talking about what they experienced, right? Sexual violence and decrying sexual violence. And you went onto the internet and you're like, I experienced this or I condemn this individual or this structure or whatever. And I think of the difference between Me Too and Black Lives Matter, which are kind of come around at the same time, right? 2015, 2016. And Me Too is a very internet-based thing that where I imagine a lot of you were probably quite young when it was happening, right? It was like, this is the feminist movement. It's in a hashtag and it's online. And we are speaking out, right? How many of you have been told speaking out is like activism? A lot, right? It's like we speak out, as Sandy was saying. But the interesting thing about that was that it, it reconceptualized uh, activism in a hashtag. And once the hashtag disappears, once folks in power ignore it long enough for it to go away, it goes away. 
And so you as the individual who cares about something, who wants to do something, who's told to go online and do these things on the internet and you do those things, and then the patriarchy is still like totally screwing you and you're like, what? The patriarchy's still intact. It, it, it didn't work, right? And, and worse than that, you know, then you start to see, okay, sure, people like, I don't know, Harvey Weinstein or Bill Cosby, they get taken down. But like in the workplace, in our communities, patriarchy, sexism, sexual violence, it's not, it, there's no, nothing has happened. But we've been told that that's activism. And if you look at the history of activism in this country, it is not words. It's not, as Sandy said, statements. It's, it's actually doing stuff. And I think that one of the, the, the things that have been rendered invisible is what does doing stuff actually look like? What does it actually, like, you know, I, I, I can say, oh, well, you just have to build, a, build an organization and we're going to go and we're going to fight Doug Ford. What does fighting Doug Ford actually look like? I mean, I can imagine, like, fighting Doug Ford, <laughs> right? That would be cool. Or something. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not, I, I mean, I, my, my background is not in fighting, so I'm not sure it's a threat for me to say that. If I had, like four black belts that would be like police should come and get me for saying that but i have no i have no belts so you know i could fight him but what you know we 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 have this idea that you know fighting him is like ah we're fighting you it's like you know you're not that guy hasn't even been kicked you know there's no there hasn't been a pie a single pie in that guy's face right which was actually a very uh, excellent tactic uh, in the in the mid 1990s, the the pie in the face for the for the, for the politician, right? Um, and so this is what I you know when listening to what you're saying, I'm I'm, I'm thinking of wh what is it? What is action? How do you, what does it look like? And why is it so like difficult for people to see action? Yeah, I you know I guess we are just so online these days that it's it it is rendered invisible in some ways. And I also think that we struggle with, uh, in this like digital age, with like human connection. Like it's hard to speak to the person that you work next to day in and day out about complicated issues um, that may be really, really important to you that you may be thinking about deeply every single day. But for some reason, it's like hard to get over that hump of human connection. And as someone who's like, Young, old. <laughs> so you're kind of old, actually. Old, young. <laughs> Look, okay, so in my union, uh, which my, my former union, I'm no longer a part of that union, sad, but uh, uh, it's because I like work alone now <laughs> as a writer. But uh, at QP, they kept um, uh, redefining what a young worker meant, and I just kept being young. As, Uniform, as I too. got older, I was like, <laughs> yes. So somewhere out there, I might be a young worker, <laughs> but as a young, as an old young person, as an elder millennial, as, or a geriatric millennial, as one of my younger cousins <laughs> called me the other day, uh, we, <laughs> we had the benefit of actually experiencing what uh, organizing looked like pre-Twitter and kind of pre-Facebook. I mean, well, I, I feel when, like I was like in the Facebook era, but... Was, but when Facebook was literally just to see like who got ugly from high school. <laughs> when, when Facebook was like the dating service for uh, people in college and university. Um, we, and like what it looks like literally is, I mean, it's, it's diverse, but it, it looks like this. It looks like this room. 
and having difficult conversations in rooms that can be this big, where you are debating people on the way forward and you are having creative, really creative conversations about how to build power. And when I'm talking creative, like I remember a campaign where we were talking about um, how dangerous it was to uh, have cars driving through a university campus. And uh, people debating uh, whether or not uh, that road should be pedestrianized. Um, and coming to the conclusion as a group that this was our position, that yes, the road should be pedestrianized. And then being like, how do we, how do we present this idea? Like, how do we make it fun? How do we get people to care? How do we even like talk about it? Because you could, you could just go to the people who manage the road and say, please pedestrianize the road. And then the people who, who manage the road will likely be like, I'm really busy and I don't know if I care about this or understand what you're talking about. So if you try that and then that doesn't work and you're in a room like this and trying to figure out what to do next, you come up with all sorts of creative ideas and you go back and forth and you try to figure it out. And during that time, um, the, the campaign that was uh, developed to try to get this road pedestrianized was to lay sod, grass, literally blocks of grass on that road and have people like play on that road for the day and have other people come up and be like, what the hell is happening? There's grass on this main thoroughfare through my campus. And yeah, it, it was a disruption too because it meant that cars couldn't go through were also like, what the heck? And I was like, sorry, not today. And today that road is pedestrianized. It's right there. It's like just over here. It's like a block and a half away in Toronto, downtown Toronto. Because that, you know, that got it on the news. That got people talking about it. That got people thinking about what could this place look like if, and you know, that's not, you know, there's no, there's no playbook for that. There's not some book somewhere that tells you if you want to pedestrianize a street, you do this. Or if you want to change uh, the way the world operates in this way, you do this. Or if you want to uh, bring, um, you know, more attention to the legal issues facing black people, you start a black legal action center. Like nobody tells you these things. You have to have these sort of conversations with other people. And it's not a singular individualized thing. You have to do it with other people, which means you have to struggle together to come up with some sort of strategy to move forward. It's the only way that this sort of stuff works. Because I tell you, like the, those kids in the room, kids, we were young people in a room talking about the road. We had zero power over that road. But collectively, we did. And that has long-lasting impacts to this very day. And I don't think that they're going to open that road back up again. And it, it actually started like sort of this ballooning um, movement of pedestrianizing roads in, in Toronto. And so since then, many other roads have been pedestrianized. And that is something that, you know, uh, impacts people's health. You know, it, it impacts safety, all sorts of things. And, you know, for me, as a young person at the time, that really showed me. I was like, oh, shit, anything's possible. Like, literally anything is possible. You can come up with anything. You can, you can struggle against anything. And it's literally about how creative, what, what our limitations are is how creative um, we are willing to be and how many people we can get on side to, to get that idea to be bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, and, I, you know, 
it also has to be said that that action was illegal, right? We were charged with <laughs> vandalism <laughs> of all freaking things. <laughs> and the cops forced us to pay them. And I don't remember how that worked out. Um, but, you know, like, radical action is a lot of fun. And I think we don't say that enough. Radical action is a lot of fun, right? Fighting someone like Doug Ford would be a lot of fun, in theory. You know, you all come from uh, play all over Ontario. I'm sure you've got mayors and city councillors that fighting them is a lot of fun. But knowing where to start can be really daunting. And w one of the things that I'm always surprised by is like how few people seem to know each other within common spaces. So anyone in the room from Peterborough? Yeah, all right, very nice. So I was in Peterborough last week and I got to talk to some childcare activists, actually a lot of childcare activists, 50 childcare activists. And the, the day the organizers assumed everyone knew each other, all right? So, so we were supposed to come together and we're like, what's the barriers to action? And the, and the idea, was talking about childcare, so the idea was the barriers were like cost, it's complicated, uh, conservative politicians, this kind of thing, right? And I'm asking people questions and I was like, wait a minute, do you people know each other? And they're like, no, we've, we've never, today's the first day we've, we've ever seen each other. I was like, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, can we just, can, can you all just talk about where you work and who you are? And sorry, do you know the group that's put today on? No, no, I was just invited to come from my supervisor. Okay, sorry, so who in the group is from the overarching group? Me, okay, you present yourself, you guys meet each other. You know, we, and this I think I do blame also on the internet, we don't, actually meet each other again and then you get all these people being like oh I can't make friends I don't know how to make friends anymore it's like because you got to go and make friends you got to go meet people you got to do stuff right the pandemic was obviously very difficult for that because we couldn't and everything changed about how we are interacting with people but you know to build communities of people that can do things that are illegal that can do things that are super fun you have to know one another and you have to have a relationship. Don't have like actual relationships with each other that's messy and that's activist spaces where everyone's sleeping with each other and it's like gross, don't do that. But, you know, but having trust in one another is really important because, uh, you know, we, I, I don't know if you were there, but we had this like very bad idea. Sometimes your ideas are bad and that's fine, right? We had this very bad idea to drop a banner off of the Don Valley Parkway overpass so I don't know if you know the Don Valley Park Parkway. I mean, I'm just assuming this is north. Who, who cares, right? This is north, right? So there's the Don Valley. And, uh, and, and there's other overpasses that are not too high, right? And for some reason, I wasn't, I'm, they're like, we're going to the Don Valley. It's like, you, uh, the, the Bloor, sorry, the Bloor Viaduct. And, uh, and it was bad. And the second the banner got out, the cops were there or whatever. And, and I remember this one activist, he was 17, he just got involved on campus, and his first interaction with it all was running from the cops with the banner, right? <laughs> and like, he's today, um, I mean, uh, 15 years later, he's one of the best union photographer videographers in, in Ontario and Canada. He stayed in the movement, and, and he was not a radical guy at all. He was just like, hey, what are you guys doing? Like, we're gonna go do something uh, legal. Okay, cool. You know, and then there he is, oh my God, what did you get me into, right? So those kinds of activities are really important because as I say, when like our history is rendered invisible and we don't actually have a good idea of how things changed in society, I mean that we really don't know. So like 
ever, how many people know like abortion? We can get abortions, right? Right. Yes. We, yeah, we can get abortions. Okay, great. How did we, how did we win that? Was it like asking for abortions? No. I mean, yeah. Like, please, we want abortions. Okay. But it was also from massive mobilization located in every corner of the country, mobilizations of of like obvious people, so radical feminists fighting for access to reproductive justice, but then also creating spaces for like quietly the Women's Institute and the Catholic Women's League who are officially opposed to it, but understand actually we do need this. And through the cover of coalition building, bringing groups around the same table and saying, what are our tactics? And then what was it? What was the thing that actually tipped the balance? Does anybody know what tactic Tip the thing that they did that tipped the balance to get this to be legal? Anyone know? No one knows. Or you're just too shy. You're not sure. I don't want to say the wrong thing. The thing that tipped the balance happened in Winnipeg and happened in Toronto. And it was opening abortion clinics that were illegal. It was Henry Morgenthaler. And it was the activists around Morgenthaler who opened the clinics to make to actually give access to abortion services. And doing that had a whole bunch of effects. The positives were people saw that it was possible, that you could have a private clinic. I mean, again, we're talking Canada, healthcare is public, all this stuff. You have a private clinic offering abortion services in Winnipeg and in Toronto, and you could break the law because it was fully illegal. And you can give people access to the healthcare and people in the communities can support these clinics. The negatives was that uh, people would firebomb them, right? People would physically attack people going into the clinics. But it allowed Canadians to see that something that had been fought for for decades, something that was the highest killer of childbearing aged women in Quebec, could actually be done safely and, and medically and in a facility that was clean by, by, a, by a doctor, and, and they weren't hiding it. And so by the end of the 1980s, when uh, the, 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 the challenge to the law goes to the Supreme Court, the judges can say, we already have, the clinics are operating. They're illegal, but they're operating. And we have this ground cell of swell support, and we have these huge mobilizations, and we have these huge public meetings, and we have activists in every part of Canada. And that is why there's no abortion law today, like rendering abortion possible and legal. And 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 it was because those activists they didn't say we want abortion, uh, we want total abortion, or we want abortion at 30 weeks, or we want abortion for 40 weeks minus two, like whatever. I don't know, um, which is what we hear a lot, especially in the United States. They're just like we want the same law for abortion services that we have for brain surgery. No laws, <laughs> you know, it's, it's regulated. It's a medically regulated thing. We want any laws. And that radical, that radicalism, that, that, that foresight that was really driven by um, activists, feminist activists that understood very clearly what was at stake means that Canada, it's like the only thing that Canada is like the best in the world on is our abortion legislation. It's incredible actually. And I think today a lot of people think it was just a question of lobbying, convincing politicians. So as a union, like when you're 
taking stock of some of these big questions of like how to impact something, like you can take a look at an organization that's doing something like that and you can put your money towards uh, supporting that organization or you know you can call that organization up and ask what they need or you can do that organizing from within because unions are super strong super powerful organizations in this country and have always been a part of supporting whatever sort of change and shifts activists and advocates are putting forward in this country always 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 and some of what we just talked about may seem like super big uh, and like super hard to figure out, but you know you start somewhere. You just you try to figure it out. Like I, <laughs> in terms of uh, union support, like here's here's like a concrete example of like how not talk, talking like can 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 leave some really big uh, opportunities on the table. We or like left, you know, we stuff that we should have done that we didn't do because we didn't talk. Um, uh, when you know Black Lives Matter was doing some in Toronto was doing some really heavy uh, activism in 2016. We did this action where we did a two-week occupation in front of the police station. It was actually, like, the whole plan was that we were going to do a one-day occupation in Nathan Phillips Square, and, uh, you know, things really changed <laughs> during that day. And it ended up that we were sleeping outside in February, uh, the police station, for, for two weeks. And it was in part because of all of the support that we were getting from the ground. Like, we would have these meetings in our makeshift office, which was a van um, that a union had donated to us and we would like get together at night and be like we're really tired but we still can't shut it down there's like hundreds of people coming every day to support us and at the time what we were trying to do was get rid of carding um, the practice the uh, racial profiling anti-black racist uh, practice of carding in the province and we were just like every day like wow people are so inspired from us that we can't stop and we're so tired but we were we were getting these this support and, but it was really taxing. It was really, really hard on the activists who were there all the time. Like at the time, I was I was working a full time job still at at QP, and so I would go to work in the morning and then come um, to to uh, the action in the afternoon and then just be there all night. And I would do a um, a shift. Uh, that was up until like three or four in the morning and then I would take three hours of sleep and then I would go back to work the next day. It was really, really wild. And when it was all over, um, a union activist that I know was like, man, that was so, so, so inspiring. I was like, yeah, oh, thanks. You know, like it was one of the toughest things we have ever done. And he was like, yeah, you know, like, you, our office is right there. And, you know, we thought, yeah, yeah, we wonder how you guys are doing this. You probably need, like, space or, like, a shower or we could have, like, booked hotel rooms. But we figured you got it all figured out. <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? <laughs> no, like, we, we didn't know that that was something that you could offer or we would have we told you that. And, and, like, why didn't you call me and tell me that this was something that you were thinking of? Like, we could, this would have been so much easier on us. There were people who were not able to do the whole, you know, we had, our, our team was very diverse. There were people who were not able to do the whole thing because of parental responsibilities or because of disabilities or whatever. Like, it, it was a really hard thing to do. And you have to, to think about how you're going to support all these people. And gosh, if we had only had that conversation... And he was just like, well, it just looked like you had it so figured out. Like, I was watching you on the news every day. I was like, I was dying inside. <laughs> I was like, it was like the word was so hard to do that. 
and we just needed to have that conversation. But he was like, you know, I was watching it on the internet, and it was like, God damn, the internet, just like, come and talk to me, just call me, ring me up. And it's like, just one of those things of how we can support, like, use the little power that we have. I have the power to book a hotel room. Well, gosh, book us a hotel room so we could take a shower closer to where we're at. Or like, book us a, a meeting room so we can have a meeting that's not in a van at night while there's hail outside. <laughs> like, it was, you know, just a really simple thing. And again, like I said earlier, like some of this stuff can feel really big. But I want you to know that the organizing and the power building also happens in the socials that happen. Like it's not always, you don't have to always bring together people in a room like this, although it's really good. It's really good to do that. It also happens in meeting people in social spaces and just hanging out and having conversations about the stuff that matters to you. Anywhere that you can spark an idea, you can potentially change the tra trajectory of things that really, really matter to you. I mean, I hear um, that you folks are gonna be voting on equity representatives for the first time. That's really big. And that was an idea that somebody had at some point and thought, how can we structurally change the institution so that we can support organizing for one another in another way, seeing each other in another way, making sure that people who are perhaps not seen as much have the type of support that they need. And as you're doing that, you know, do the things that are difficult. Have those difficult conversations. Don't just, you know, have the vote and change the structure and that's it. Like, evaluate it. Say, like, you know, are, are these folks getting the support that they need in terms of resources? What have other groups done when they've implemented this? Where have they failed? Can we call them? Can we talk to them? Can we have discussions about how they failed at it or how, what was really, really good about it? And what can we do to be creative to push the envelope forward? So it's not just the same old thing that we're replicating. Because I'll tell you what, like whether or not we fought Doug, fight Doug Ford in person, I do have a belt, a martial arts belt. But I don't want to do that. <laughs> Whether we fight Doug, Doug Ford in person or not, what I will tell you is that no one has like you know figured out how to take that person down or like to shift the way that uh, politics has worked so that you know we we aren't so devoid of power individually. No one's figured that out yet. So look, there's like the sky's the limit. There's like so much opportunity to come up with creative ideas that's going to impact something. So you don't need to just repeat what has been done before. In fact, if we just repeat, they'll just get used to exactly what we're, we're planning on doing and they'll be ready for us every single time we come and it'll be easy to, to ignore um, what we're doing because if we're just repeating and it's all boring and necessarily they can just ignore us. No one's going to listen. But, you know, if you, if you are committed to the idea of being creative and doing something differently and building power and getting people together, honestly, the sky's the limit. And I will tell you this other one secret. It takes very, very few people to change the world. Very, very few people. It takes very, very few people in a room to get a huge movement going. Like, that is the biggest secret of activism and advocating. Like, you, you got three people, excellent news, excellent news. Yeah, 
You also can draw on what you know about what's wrong with the world in your workplaces because you see this stuff directly and you know where the gaps are. You know where uh, there's a, a, a hole in the social safety net or you know where there's a missing thing, right? You, I, there's, there's a lot of fear out there right now and I, and I feel like fear stops a lot of people from blowing the whistle passing information off to a journalist, passing information off to a city councillor or, or someone else with some maybe a little bit more power than you have. And if you, if you see stuff that you know the average person would be outraged by, figure out ways to get that information out. Like I know, I know there are people in this room that have seen stuff that average people need to know. And I also know that there's people in this room that are too afraid. I'm not, this is not the same person. I'm not just like telling one person right now to like, please leak that information though. That um, there are people in this room that are too afraid to do this because you'll lose your job. You might be isolated. You might be ostracized, whatever. I think that one of the characteristics of being an Ontarian is being tremendously afraid all the time. It's just like this weird thing that exists where it's like, I don't want to put my, I don't want to stick my neck out because I will get fired, right? And maybe you will, I don't know. But we could stand to be a little bit more courageous, especially when you're dealing with people's lives. And so when you get together, if you are in a room with the two other or five other or 20 other activists who are going to change something, and you have some sort of knowledge about that because of the work that you do, this is where you can rely on the union. You have an activist union, and the union structure is there to protect you to the extent that it can. Of course, nothing is fail-proof, and maybe it is going to be risky. But when you start to organize in a way with other people and you start to take those risks, that is actually where the magic happens. And, you know, when, when I started asking how you're feeling... Sandy, how does it feel when you are doing these risky, exciting, potentially disastrous, sometimes successful things? How does that actually start making you feel? It is the most amazing thing in the world. <laughs> it is the most amazing thing in the world to be united with other people and like in, in, in an idea that could maybe feel delusional when you thought about it yourself in your bedroom and didn't talk to anybody about it, but when you see it, like the impact that it has on other field, uh, other people, the impact that it has on the media, on the world, or whatever, it feels amazing. It's infectious. It's uh, it's amazing to be a part of, and it's addictive. Actually, you're just like, wow, I will change the world forever. I will do this. I will do this forever because it's. I mean, it, it feels hard, and it's, it's like an uphill battle. And there's lots of losses. There's lots of ways that it feels like, man, we lost that one, or man, this didn't happen. But every time that you're together with people and you folks like are struggling against something and shifting people's minds it's like it's the most amazing thing like i i it i struggle to to like really put it into words because it feels like almost spiritual in a way like how people coming together to change something can really change you i i often get this question at uh, talks that I do and when I'm talking to other people like how do you how do you uh, you know take care of yourself through 
all of this. Like you're you're dealing, you know, the work that I do in terms with Black Lives Matter, it's a lot of death work that we're dealing with. A lot of people who um, are experiencing, you know, when you're working with families, we're experiencing their absolute worst experience that you could ever imagine. And so people will say to me, you know, like, how do you take care of yourself? How do you take time for you? Like, what do you, what do you do to? And I guess that's an important question, but for me, honestly, the honest, honest answer is to keep doing that work. Because it's the thing that makes me feel like I have some sort of control over this situation that feels like fully just anxiety-inducing. And like, what what can I do? Like, I have decided that I want to get rid of anti-black racism and challenge the idea of the police. Like, wow, very big idea, Sandy. Like, that is really tough. But it makes me feel like I have some sort of control over the situation. And that is a form of care for me. It makes me feel like a regular person. It makes me feel not um, just completely impotent in the face of a lot of injustice. And so literally, it is It is so am- amazing and like uh, inspiring and uh, just feels so great to be doing this sort of work that it is my self-care. Like imagine that. Like people are like, well, how do you take a break from this to take care of yourself? I'm like, I do more of this because it feels that good. And people need it. People need it. You know, what, like one of the, the, the kind of the more goofy campaign things that I've been involved in more recently uh, is, you know, I live in Quebec City. Quebec City has the highest number of cars owned per capita in Canada, which might surprise you because you probably only know the old city. But yes, we are a major car uh, city. And for a capital city, we have a very pathetic public transit infrastructure. And for the last two years, the only voices we've been hearing have been three real estate agents and one former right-wing journalist crank loser uh, who've been, like, fighting having any public transit at all. And it's like, guys, the the city's made for horse and buggy, okay? Like, there's a limit to how many cars we can have. Like, sorry, you know, not everyone needs to have three cars. Like, what the hell? Um, But it was the only people, the only people we heard all the time. We can't, the tramway's going to... The tramway's gonna be the Great Wall of China and Quebec. The tramway's gonna scar the beauty of the city. The tramway's gonna kill birds. It's gonna chop down trees. It's gonna make us all sick. It's gonna make us have nosebleeds. Like, just crazy stuff. Like, it's it's our 9-11 was one thing they said. What? It's amazing. Oh Talk about creativity. These guys are creative. <laughs> That's just like throwing anything on the wall. Correct. And seeing what sticks. That's absolutely what they did. Outrageous. That's right. Yeah. And so finally, like, you know, who's pro-tramway? Well, this, the, the, the surveys say a, a majority of people, but a small majority, 52%. And the mayor is pro-tramway and some city councilors are pro-tramway. But where are the people? Nobody, no person is like, I want this stupid tramway. And so my partner and I are like, let's just make posters. Let's just make posters and we'll see how many people want them. And we sold 5,000 posters at cost, like to recover our costs, in two weeks. You know, and every time someone came to my door being like, are you the people with the posters? It's like, yeah. They, like every single person was like, we needed this so badly. Thank you so much. We needed this so badly. And it was just because we had the money and the faith that the money would come back to us <laughs> to buy 5,000 posters. And we knew that it would because we knew it was popular. And we also knew that two years of anger to the anti-tramway people, people were ready to show that, yes, we want a tramway. And it's, it's so silly because the money is there and the politicians are supportive of it. But the average person only hearing negativity, this is not going to do anything, this won't make anything faster, it'll just destroy the look of the city, it'll destroy your commute. 
They needed to hear average people. And so now every time there's any news about the tramway, they, they have the pro-tramway citizen voice. I get calls. I pass those calls off to other people, get them trained up on talking to journalists. And we're going to have this thing. I mean, the work has been has started and we're going to have this someday. Um, but without that pressure, without the presence of, of us, people were so depressed by this. So, so, so depressed by this. Um, and so, of course, we do fun stuff. So what was the last thing we did? We worked with a local brewery. We made a beer. And uh, anyone in the room speak French? Who speaks French in the room? Okay, so only a couple of people can get this. The beer is called La Railleuse. La Railleuse, which in French means, well, it's the rail, but it's also someone who's complaining all the time, <laughs> right? So we announced this to the newspaper. It's like, ah, voici la bière, la railleuse. And they're like, that is funny because those guys have been complaining all the time and now you are, you're drinking their complaints in your beer, right? So, you know, we get creative and knowing that this is that this is something that like a brewery wants to be involved in. People want to drink beer. It was great. It worked. We could maybe do next time something else with like Monsieur T or whatever, the tea people. Uh, that is Mr. T. Um, and, uh, and, and giving people that place to actually do that activism is, uh, is really important. Like one of the things that that comes up in what Nor the story that Nora just told is like, man, isn't that so simple? Like they just made some posters. Literally, just, that's it. They just made some posters. Like that's that's no work <laughs> at all. That's like very nothing. It's very small, and it had a huge impact. Like there's so many, so many things that we can do that is like that for anything. But there's this thing. There's this thing that I think is part of like this internet culture. We have a whole episode on this, so you can look it up. There's like this hump that of like going from doing nothing and feeling bad about it to doing something and feeling hope about it. <laughs> like that little hump is so big. It's so big and it stops us from doing so much. And honestly, I can't figure out what it is that makes that hump like so normal for us, that makes that hump so inevitable to think about. Like, gosh, should I really do this? Like, is, is, am I the one? Am I the right person to do this? Doesn't somebody else know more about this than me? Like, I mean, Nora's like into tramway stuff, but she's not like, you know, like uh, a I do not care about tramways. She's not, she's not like a commissioner of some sort of metro line, or like she doesn't know. She's not doing research on. She's just like, I want this thing. Like she is a person in her community who wants this thing. She thinks it's going to be a good thing, so she made some posters, and that's it. Getting over that hump of like, I'm going to actually try to do something, even if it's small is something you have to train yourself to do. And it is like easier to get over that hump if you've got a couple people beside you, a partner, someone, who's going to be like, I will jump over this hump with you. <laughs> I will do this with you. And then more and more people, this is how this goes, tend to join you in doing that. Like, it, it can be something really big, or it can be something really small. But that hump is the thing. It's the thing that is so hard to get over. And part of why I think the internet is so successful at demobilizing us is because the hump of saying very few words online 
it's a, it's a smaller hump. <laughs> the consequences are a little tinier than if you, if you do something that doesn't work out. If you put your heart and soul into something and gosh darn, people didn't like it, right? Like that's a bigger hump. Like all the things that are in your brain that are telling you like why um, it's not worth it to go over the hump, it's way smaller for like make, putting out a statement on the internet which is why it's so crucial for us to have like this, to get to know one another, to put energy into crossing the hump of literally like, hi, I'm so-and-so, really great to meet you, saw you at the conference earlier, like, you know, e even that hump is really, really critical if we're gonna do the type of organizing that, quite frankly, unions have done forever and have, have reshaped our world around. If we're going to do that in our daily daily lives and and figuring out how we change this thing for the better, because gosh, like one thing that I know is that politicians they're like really comfortable. They've been elected. It's kind of like they're like, "Hey, I'm elected. That is comfort." You know, like they've been told that they are great, and they're like, "I'm doing great because I was elected because I've been told that I'm great." And so they're not going to change anything unless you force them to. You don't. You don't go to you know Doug Ford or whomever and say, "Hey, could you just do this thing?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure, totally." No, you have to like actually force it. You have to force the issue. You have to make it happen. And you can't do that if you don't get over the humps. Mm -hmm.